While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. This is Overdue. It's a podcast about books that you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. Hi, I'm Andrew. Um, and since this is our first episode, I guess we should kind of go into why we're doing this, right, Andrew? Yes. Um, so the Thank idea you for being, asking. No, well, I'm trying to include you in this conversation. <laughs> There's no one else on the call. I'm not talking to no one. Tell me, Craig, tell me why we're doing this podcast. I, I would be happy to, Andrew. Um, so I got a lot of books and I think you have a lot of books too, right? Yes. Great. Uh, and I realized I haven't read most of them. Like I've read some of them. I've accumulated them over the years. Um, but some, maybe as a latent new year's resolution or whatever, I, I wanted to start a project where I start going through some of the stuff that I own and, you know, really take it in. And it's, it's part of a larger, like that would benefit me create creatively, you know, to just kind of have a larger pool of I don't know what I'm saying I have mean, a, have a, yeah I, I know what you mean because like whenever you know with my reading habits and my like video gaming habits and all kinds of different stuff what I'll do is I'll buy things but you know usually I'll buy a bunch of things at once and then only deal with the one I want to deal with the most and <laughs> then by the <laughs> by the time I'm done with it I'm ready to move on to the next thing like I'm not I haven't ever sat down and been like you know I should really probably make use of all these things that I've spent all this money on <laughs> yeah as opposed to continuing to spend money on things that I won't get around to you know yes uh so I think the genesis of this project is is really just to kind of start going through the shelves, figure out what I've got and what I haven't dealt with and what I haven't read. And then I thought, why not turn it into a conversation, get some feedback on some of the things that I've been reading and invite you to read some things, which which you said yes to. I did. I, I did. Why. I said yes. And Great. it's mostly because I feel like there is a lot of potential to uh, monetize this. And I really... <laughs> My five-year plan is to retire three years in, so. Great. Oh. And then the last <laughs> two years will just be me hanging out. Okay. Uh, so I guess the way this is going to work is that each week, Andrew or I will have read uh, a new book or each episode. I'm not, I shouldn't say each week because who knows, right? It'll probably be Should every I week, say? right? All right. Yeah, that's our goal. Yeah. Let's say Let's say each week and then you guys can get mad at me when it's not every week. Um <laughs> So one of us will have read something new, maybe something the other person has read, maybe not. And uh, then we're going to talk about it, talk about, put it in context of our lives and the lives of everyone else. I don't know what that means. Right. So <laughs> without further ado, let's get started. Okay, Craig, what did you read this week? Tell me. I read, I figured we should start with a sort of classic and something that I didn't realize I had on my shelf. So I started with John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men. Um, yeah, because, you know, it's a book that people are familiar with. It's a story people know. And I, I 
wasn't sure if I'd read it, if, if that makes sense. <laughs> you either have not read it or it's been so long since you read it that you might as well not have read it. Yeah, and it, I think I have it. It even has inside the uh, – one of the things that's fun about going back to books on your shelf that you don't know where they came from, like it has the stamp from my high school English department inside of it. <laughs> so clearly I didn't give this back. I just kept it, <laughs> which is kind of neat. Uh, and I don't really remember if I did that, if I read it. Like, this was a period of time in my academic life uh, where I wasn't really doing all of the work. So, <laughs> well, was... in a lot of those books, they have you read some of those classics like uh, Lord of the Flies and Great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. And, like, you're not quite old enough to really to really weigh them, like, critically yet. And maybe you're not reading all the assignments and maybe you're not paying attention and so, yeah, like there are a bunch of those books that I have read, but I, you know, it was like 10 years ago, 15 years ago that I just really should revisit as an adult to see whether I actually like them or not. Yeah, there is a lot of there's there's kind of two things about this book that are related to that, where it's like there are elements of this book that make for really good teaching. You know, I do some some theater outreach teaching and other kind of teaching storytelling in schools and stuff like that. So there's some really simple devices at play that make it both a really good book but also make it really teachable to you know someone who's 13 uh while at the same time they talk a, a lot about whores a lot and i don't really <laughs> i don't really remember that part of the book which is that's surprising because I, I figured that would be the hook for like a 15 year old boy <laughs> yeah well the cover just has like two dudes sitting by a river under a tree there's no like we're gonna talk about whores we're gonna talk about how guys go from job to job and only spend their money on drinking and whores. <laughs> Maybe high schoolers would like it better if it were of mice and men and also whores. Like if they <laughs> retooled it for the modern era. The best laid whores of mice and men. Yes. Yeah, that's that sounds good. I think I think the poet Robert Burns would really like that if we <laughs> butchered his famous line that way. Yeah. Yeah, that would um, be good. I think we should we should canonize that is that a word yeah you canonize you canonize people to you canonize canon? yeah to, to make of the canon <laughs> you know so give me the like short attention span internet summary of this book like if 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 you were a wikipedia article what would your first paragraph be <laughs> so it's uh set in the 1930s as far as i can tell Maybe a little sooner, maybe a little earlier than that. I guess I probably should have looked that up. Yeah, and to give um, some context is... for the show, yeah, we're not always gonna <laughs> we're not always gonna like evaluate these, you know, in in the full like context of their place and like the literary canon. Like a lot of the time, we're just gonna read stuff and then talk about it. I think that's kind of the point, though, right? Yeah. Like as we draw out our introduction to the entire podcast as part of this first episode. Right, I think we're I think in 10, kind of why, 10 minutes of introduction. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's kind of why I wanted to start with of Mice and Men because it's a pretty light by by all other accounts book that we can kind of introduce what the hell we're doing here, you know. Like I've read this book maybe. I read it well recently. I read it this week. Uh not maybe. <laughs> but the idea that we're not literary experts, we're People who like to read and think fancy ourselves, you know, smarter than the average bear, but by no means experts on these things. Uh, so yeah, so it's Dust Bowl era, uh, you know, sharecroppers—not sharecroppers, 
people working on farms. Like Migrant farmers? <laughs> yeah. Well, they're they're <laughs> farmers, but they don't own their own farms. Like, okay. it's these guys. It's two guys, Lenny and George, who travel from farm to farm, and they, you know, they bale hay and, you know, deal with crops. And then they make a little bit of money, and then they move on. And that's about it. So... They have a plan, though, that's going to set them apart from everyone else, is that they're going to own their own plot of land. That's the big dream, right? Um, with, which is nice because it's, it's in the context of all they know. Like, they're not like, oh, we're going to move to the big city and we're going to open a store and we're going to... It's not like, no, it's like they're not trying to... Yeah, they want their lives to be like the best possible versions of the lives that they already have and know. Yeah, which is kind of neat. I mean, as I was I, I, breaking the cycle right off the bat, I did do a little bit of research <laughs> on this book. Um, and I was not surprised. God, I still haven't given you a summary. Um, no, we'll get there. Surprised. We'll get there. Don't rush it. We'll, we'll get back to the beginning of this podcast at some point. Um, I was not surprised to read that Steinbeck kind of considered this a play novelette, like, you know, hyphen the words play and novella, if you wish. Um, it's only about 100 pages in this Penguin edition, and the scenes are not very ornate. A lot of the book is just people talking with a little bit of like, oh, and they're in this room and yada, yada, yada. He saves kind of – he saves just straight-up narratorial voice for the beginnings and ends of chapters. A lot of times it's just – it could very easily be a play, and he turned it into a play and a screenplay. Not you know, It was made a film two years after the book came out. Um, so going back to the, to the idea that their, that their ultimate goal of owning their own farm is kind of within this world of dusty California, like it's a very tight world. He's not, you know, they're not, all of the interactions are really tied to this one farm that they're on. It's not overreaching in a lot of ways, which is kind of, it makes it very simple. And I, again, going back to it, it makes it wonderfully teachable. Um, so, okay. So great. So we've got two guys. Okay. They're farmers. <laughs> Lenny and, and George. Yes. Lenny and George. Good working and class names. Yes. Lenny is a very large man who is a simpleton. He is, if you know, the word is not used in the book, but he is mentally handicapped. Um, he doesn't remember things very well. He speaks very slowly. He has a hard time concentrating. But he works really hard, and he's very strong. And he pals around with George, who is a friend of Lenny's aunt, um, or knew Lenny's aunt, and so kind of takes care of him. George is a much smaller man and uh, is kind of the brains of the operation, as it were. And a, a lot is made of the idea that they, men in this line of work generally don't have companions, they don't hang out with other guys. They're kind of all drifters. And so whenever they meet someone new, like everyone remarks, like, what are, what are you doing going around with other guy with another guy? And not and it's not in a they're not insinuating anything, you know, sexual by it. They're just, just like, that's weird. No, Who's and normal? and like thinking because Steinbeck is grapes of wrath too, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So thinking thinking about um that book, which kind of takes place in the same against the same backdrop, like if you do try to make friends with these people, I'm sure you could be like trying to stab them in the back for some 
you know, for some awful job like later on. I'm sure it's it's not it doesn't sound like a circumstance that breeds a lot of uh, camaraderie. No, no. And it's very, you know, work is so hard to come by in a right, way yeah. that everybody, you know, and everybody's trying to get ahead. But at the end of the day, no one gets ahead because no one's helping each other out. And that's kind of thematically what this book is exploring. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so they get a job at this farm. And there's this guy named Curly who uh, he wears a glove all the time and he keeps Vaseline in it to keep his hand nice and nice and nice okay. for his for his new wife. OK. Uh, and they talk a lot about how Curly has ants in his pants. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean he has crabs? Is that the implication? No, no. It means that he's horny. Oh, like OK. He, he, but he hasn't done anything about it. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it's really weird. Um but at the same time, his wife is always walking around the farm, going into rooms where she knows Curly isn't, and asking dudes like, hey, is Curly here? And they they all kind of treat her like she's a slut. Like, at one point, someone says, I bet she'd clear out for 20 bucks. <laughs> clear uh, out? Yeah. That's like my favorite euphemism ever now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so derogatory. It's such a weird thing, like... She as a character, she kind of sucks. Like she's she's really <laughs> mean to people. You know, she's got some really she's really broken. You know, she she thought that she was going to be an actress at some point when she was younger and people told her she was pretty and she doesn't like her husband who she really only married cuz she had nothing else going on and she thinks her mom robbed her of her Amer- like her version of the American dream and all this stuff. Um and so she's really lonely, even though she is has a pretty cushy setup, you know, aside from the fact that her husband sucks. Um, but so there's a lot of tension. There, she remarks, she goes into a room at one point with Lenny and, and I think the older character, Candy, and the, uh, the black um, mule worker. I don't know what his title is. He works with the horses. Um, his name is Crooks, and she remarks on the fact that men behave differently in front of her when there's more than one of them. Like, when she's alone with a man, he'll be nice and talk to her, but then the second there's more than one of them, they all, like, team up against her and kind of clam up. Um, and it's this interesting idea where she, every time she reaches out for, like, a connection, because she's Curly's wife and because no one wants to get in trouble and lose their job, they all kind of reject her. So she can't actually get anywhere with another person, um, which is kind of more about the rest of the themes of the book of isolation and um, companionship again. Like what? What are? What is she trying to? Is she just trying to hang out with other dudes and make her husband like jealous and mad and like want to be with her more? Or like what is? What's her? She doesn't like Curly. Okay, like that's, that's it it's sound a like weird. It. No, and, he's got ants in his pants. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's, gross. Yeah, that's a, it's a weird you. There's a lot of weird euphemisms. <laughs> um, it's. <laughs> I'll get back to remind me to talk about one weird phrase that I wrote down. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not really clear what she wants. It's just that she wants a connection with another person, but she's kind of tr- feels trapped in this situation where she can't get it. In the same way, where like George feels like he. There's tension between just kind of being one of the guys who goes from farm to farm and 
and just lives his life and then every month spends all his money, you know, in a hotel sleeping with whores mm-hmm. or does he keep pounding around and, and take care of Lenny because Lenny needs taken care of ostensibly. Um, and so that kind of like what could your life be versus what you're stuck in right now um, factors a lot. But, oh, back to that, back to that phrase. Uh, at one point, George is talking about how Curly's wife is acting and he says, these here jailbaits is just set on the trigger of the hooskow. And I, w- I was like, what does that mean? And apparently hooskow means jail. Okay, so I did that know that hooskow means jail. What? How did you know that hooskow meant jail? I don't know. Like Maybe it's something about my, my hillbilly-ish upbringing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I knew like jailbait, obviously, if, if it means yeah. the same thing in 1930 as it means now that's it's just a young woman yes a um, bit of a tramp maybe yeah right who scows is prison okay what's the <laughs> deconstruct this phrase for me again what's it it's these jail baits are is just set and a lot of th- they say set and they mean sit okay it's like the you know it's just sit on the trigger of the who scow so does that mean that if you try to take up with one of these jail baits that you'll go to jail is that the i, I think so i think it's i think it's a really roundabout way <laughs> of saying that woman's trouble <laughs> you know it's interesting i don't know um so we haven't really gone but i want to go back to the basis of lenny and george's relationship um is that the book does a really good job of foreshadowing pretty much everything that <laughs> happens in the book okay um so, like, within the first chapter, which is just mostly a conversation between Lenny and George before they get to the farm, you learn that at their previous job, uh, they got in trouble because Lenny likes to pet things that are soft. Okay. He's very simple. Sure. He, you know. And he started petting this girl's dress, and then when someone yells at him to stop, he doesn't let go. He just freaks out and just grabs onto things. And so they accused him of rape, and they had to run out of town. Um. And from there, and the whole time, George is kind of, for, you know, laying in the idea that Lenny's doesn't, he doesn't actually want trouble, but once he gets into trouble, he doesn't know how to get out of it. Um, and so it kind of lays in this idea that bad things are going to happen. Yeah. Like if anybody actually, you know, one of the first things that George says when, when Curly gives Lenny a look and is like, oh, why are you smiling at me? And Lenny's like smiling because he's thinking about dogs or something. <laughs> And George is like, don't you mess with him. And you know, like two chapters later, Curly's going to mess with him and it's going to go poorly. Um, And the whole thing about the girl, like that's kind of the big event that happens later in the book. Spoilers for Of Mice and Men. Um, (laughs) Like Lenny uh, gets into trouble and he hurts Curly's wife. And, you know, but that's foreshadowed from like page two. Um, So it's interesting that a lot of the a lot of the events in the book are set up in the first half and then like mm-hmm. all, by, to a T Steinbeck is like yep I said that was going to happen that's going to happen you can't avoid that and you can't avoid that and you can't avoid that yeah i mean i guess that's kind of the structure of a such a such a short work that's maybe like intended to be performed at some yeah. point is you know you've got to have your themes and you've got to keep it kind of tight and you can't waste a lot of time digging around with stuff you're not going to come back to later 
Yeah, and it, to the almost to a to a point, it's like I am only telling you this thing so that when I bring it up later, it's important. You know, it's not just I'm not. He doesn't just ruminate on things in turn. Like he introduces an idea or introduces a character, and then has it pay off pretty soon after. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't you don't have time. I read it over the course of maybe two or three days, and it's really easy to kind of just keep reading because you're just listening to these characters talk for the most point, um, for the most part, not most point. Um, <laughs> really weird. I don't yeah, know. I'm sitting on the trigger of the hooskow, man. I'm I sitting. Don't... <laughs> um, there's this whole scene in the middle of the book, though, that's so sad where, like, Candy is the old guy. He's only got one good hand, and he's got this dog that's really old, and this other guy keeps telling him how much his dog smells, and, like, we got to get rid of this dog. It's so gross and bad. And then, like, he ends up – Candy lets them kill his dog because it's, like, put him out of his, you know, old yeller, this dog right. for him. Um, and it's just this awful scene, but then it kind of – that relationship between Candy and his dog is kind of set up as this – sad parallel between George and Lenny at the same time. Um, and that kind of pays off as well. It's just like the idea that these people are so hapless on their own and then whether or not any of them can rise above that. And for the most part, they can't. Right. Um, so one thing you keep kind of coming back to is that this book is very teachable. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's from you know, 80 years ago, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just from a completely, like, alien time in American history that not, like, the people who were alive to remember that even are, you know, mostly mostly gone now. So, like, what what does this book have to, like, teach people who come to it now, do you think? Well, yeah, you're right. What I was saying earlier was a lot of the from the narrative perspective. Right. It's teachable. Like you it, Right. It, and it sounds like it's very economical too. Like it Yeah. It's very economical. So from from the idea that you are introducing how, you know, authors can introduce themes or introduce character or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's very teachable. It's very like, oh, here's how you very quickly in a page and a half introduce us to this new character and just by how they're described, we know a lot about them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Curly, the the awful guy with the Vaseline glove, he's got a Napoleon complex. Like, he's a small, uh, like, welterweight boxer who uh, is always looking for a fight with guys bigger than him, you know. Um, and that kind of gets has its own payoff, of course, with Lenny. Uh, but then the other kind of stuff, what you know, you can talk about from a historical perspective. It's interesting, but it's mostly about uh, the companionship that you can teach and, and the idea of your fellow man mm-hmm. and what you are, you know, how you separate yourself, how a lot of people separate themselves from their fellow man. Um, the whole idea that they have this guy crooks who's the uh one black man working on the farm and that his family at this point in time if he had if his family had been from the east coast like his father or grandfather could have very well been a slave but Mm -hmm. that's not the case um but yet he is still kind of segmented off and 
has his own rules in a way. Like he has things in his bunk that he has more property than other people. Just he owns like books and he owns extra shoes by virtue of just being there longer. But they don't let him. They never let him play cards with them. They never let him hang out with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of the way that all these characters are isolated is very fascinating, and how it's tied to prejudices that have, you know, still kind of persist to this day, but are just kind of indicative of how people form prejudices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the biggest thing that I found out that is not really wouldn't necessarily bring it up in a class, but I, I found it fascinating. So in Texas, this happened earlier this year. There was a man who was executed in the state of Texas, not earlier this year, in 2012, August 2012. Yeah, and I think um, I know who you're going to talk about even. Yeah, is Marvin Wilson, I think his name was. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was he had an IQ of 61. And he was executed. And the there was a lot of debate about whether or not that should have happened because you know the supreme court uh said that you you know you should not you shouldn't be able to execute the handicapped um the mentally handicapped but that states are allowed to decide where those lines are drawn right. on their own yeah and i and 60 is like somebody with an iq of 60 could just about like function in society unaided like it's really close because isn't yeah. isn't 70 normally like the yes the cutoff so mm-hmm. um but what what texas did in their kind of they have like six or seven <clears throat> uh not quite rules but like guidelines that they've written that they've set down and one of them directly references lenny from of mice and men and is saying, like, if someone, if they're smarter than Lenny, then we can kill them Jeez. kind of thing. And John Steinbeck's son, Tom Thomas Steinbeck, like, spoke out and was like, that's ridiculous. Yeah, can you use, like, a fictional character? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, there were elements of somebody, you know, real in in Lenny. But, like, he's not a real person and it's and you're only spending you know part of 100 page book with him so like how is he a baseline for anything well yeah and if you've if you read the book like a lot of it is about they do end up like it's a it's about how you're supposed to take care of someone like that yeah how they and how that person can get away from you if they don't if they aren't understood properly you know it's not about and that I mean Texas says like oh if it's Lenny then we can't but using that as some sort of baseline is so gross like and the idea that you're right that it's a fictional work informing law yeah and it's you know? I mean it sounds from your description it sounds like they're taking it totally out of context too like even if they were you know weighing all of the all of the fictional, the totally fictional context, it would be less bad than it sounds like it actually is. Yeah, it's like, how do you say, like, oh, he is as, you know, as troubled or whatever word you want to use, like, he's as dumb as Lenny is. Like, what? Do you, how do you quantify you know, that? And somebody like, is as delusional as Buzz Lightyear is <laughs> in the first Toy Story movie. Like, <laughs> someone is as indecisive as Hamlet. Like, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> you can't just go around trumpeting character qualities and then, you know, writing laws about it. it, it yeah. Was 
really fascinating that that happened at all. Um, and I mean, it speaks to how kind of pervasive and how widely read the book is, I guess, that someone would introduce that into a court of law and then, like, use that as an argument and that a, a state's justice system would uphold that. Maybe. I feel like probably, like, a lot of those people wouldn't have read the book, but they would be, like, familiar with its characters and, and yeah. plot elements. And so that's how, mm-hmm. you can, that's how you can kind of get away with robbing it of its context. Yeah. Ugh, that's, um, that's gross. Yeah. Well, and it's also one of those books that gets, or it was, you know, censured for a long time sure um because of like i said all of the all of the talk about whores and, and vulgarity and yeah <laughs> yeah it's weird one of the first things that happens when they get to the farm to to get this away from serious stuff one of the first things that happen they come into the bunkhouse and there's like next to the bed where george is gonna sleep there's a can of like uh like bug repellent or like something you would put in a bed to kill the bugs. Okay. And so there's just like a little paragraph of him being like, really? There's nothing wrong with this bed? And it's like, <laughs> it just describes him in detail, like inspecting his bedding for a little while. It's just like, it's so bizarre. But of course, I guess that would have been a concern at the time. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I don't know. So there's weird. something about, like this This book sounds very American, but like it's mm-hmm. it's very bleak i guess and and you kind of see that reflected in some you know in some like economical you know segments of the population today is it sounds like these people are always like striving for the quote-unquote american dream and striving for something better but like one they don't quite know what it is and two their chances of actually attaining something that's more than what they have is just so like those chances are just so remote that it it kind of is a little depressing. Yeah, it's funny along the way like the whole idea is, you know, George and, and Lenny have this dream of they're going to go and they're going to open a farm, they're going to buy their farm, they know the property they're going to buy and you know, Lenny's all excited cuz George is going to let him tend these rabbits and that's what he says over and over. And then it's funny cuz at the end of the book when everything is going sour, like George talks about when he knows it's not going to work out, he even says, he's like, man, he made me say it so many times. I almost thought it was going to work out. But then he also is like, I said it, I said it so many times I knew it couldn't have worked out. Kind yeah. Of thing. yeah. Um, but along the way, when they, they try to keep it a secret because it's like they don't want, it's almost like they don't want it to spoil by letting it out into the open. Um, so they let only a, a couple characters know what their plan is, and they say it to the old man Candy, and his immediate response is, I've got some money, I'm pretty useless, but I'll give it to you if you let me come on, because like, that's his only escape. And when they talk to the, to the black guy Crooks, like, there's a moment where he's like, hey, maybe, and then by the end of the scene, he's like, no, no, you know, that's not going to work out. Um, so you kind of see these these characters get that twinkle in their eye and then whether or not they can hold on to it is kind of the their arc um yeah it's it's yeah it's not an uplifting story no like any story about like migrant workers in depression era america is probably not going to be like the feel-good story of the year (laughs) 
what's also crazy, and I I definitely did not remember this from if I had read it before. Um, there's a chapter towards the end where we're alone with Lenny, maybe for the sec- only maybe the second or third time in the book, and he has like legit. I don't know if you'd call them hallucinations, but like he is, he speaks with figments of his imagination for a couple pages. Hmm. And that doesn't happen anywhere else in the book. Like he talks to uh, a vision of his aunt Clara. He talks to a, a giant rabbit (laughs) who comes out and like tells him how much he's ruined everything. Okay. Um, And it's just interesting that like, right that for whatever reason Steinbeck decided to like take us inside Lenny's head and there's no indication of, of whether or not that's happening at any other point in the book. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, it's kind of weird. It's like, why, what is this Donnie Darko? What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> well, and especially Steinbeck. in a book where like everything seems to be happening deliberately and for a reason, like what's the, what's, what's your game Steinbeck? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and I haven't, I haven't seen, Actually, I've never seen a stage production of this play, and I haven't read a script. Um, but I'd be interested to see if that moment happens, or if we like, does a dude in a giant rabbit costume come out and start <laughs> yelling at Lenny? That's in, maybe that's in the children's version. Maybe of Mice and that's Men the Jr. the revival. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, of Mice and Men, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's like you said. It's it's uh, how economic it is really appealed to me. Um, I can I can get into a book that kind of I'm I feel like I'm diving deep into an author's you know mind and just kind of rattling around in their worldview. Mm-hmm. But this is a really tightly written story that I think benefits from that. So cool. Happy to happy to check it off the list. All right. So that's that's one book. Uh... We One read book it. Down, yeah. Innumerous there, books to go. Innumerous. Is that a word? Innumerable? Innumerable. Innumerous books. <laughs> I should read more books so I learn proper words. So you learn all them words good. All right. So what? Oh, we we learned Huskow. We I learned did. Huskow. Yeah. We learned Huskow. Um, Jailbait I knew already. No, whatever. Um, I yeah. don't. I think. I don't know if trigger, like in this context, means something different than it normally means. No. Oh, but you also learned uh, she'd clear out. She'd clear out, yes. For a guy, yeah. she would clear out for a guy with ants in his pants. Yeah. I That's... bet she'd clear out for 20 bucks. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. So that is that is John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men. Um, thank you guys for hanging out with us and listening to us talk about books. I don't know how you found us originally, but if you want, you can go to our website at overduepodcast.com. We're going to try and post one of these every week, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, There you can also, like, we'll be putting up Amazon links um, to every one of the books or plays or whatever that we talk about. So, and and I think we're going to try and shy away from, like, crappy Google ads that have no, like, bearing yeah. on anything that any human buy, being would actually buy want. Buy mouse food. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're we're handing those links up. We're going to try and do that every week. So if you want to read the books and also support us, we would really appreciate if you would if you would use those. And um we'll also we also have like a Twitter account at um overdue pod and you can email us with, you know, impressions or uh even like book recommendations at uh, overduepod yeah. at gmail.com. 
And we'll also have like iTunes subscription links and things like that on, on the website for you guys too. That's that. Yeah, I think that's everything. 